Hey, listen, um, so last week we just talked about this. I just said this out of the gate. I love Christmas. I love Christmas, man. There's so many things that I enjoy about it, things that I look forward to. I look forward to, again, some of the tacky movies on TV that I watch every year. I'm still not too old to watch some Rudolph or Santa Claus is coming to town. We love decorating for Christmas. I love Christmas shopping. I love spending time with family. There are a lot of traditions that I have that, again, that I know that you have, and really it's these traditions, and they're great traditions, and there's nothing wrong with traditions, but here's, here's the reality. It's Christmas, right? The dictionary definition, if you looked it up, is basically this, that it's a Christian festival, it's a Christian celebration where people recognize the birth of our Messiah and our Savior Jesus. So, like, that's really what it's about. But in reality, if, if, again, I said this last week, if some alien race was to come and do a social experiment on our planet, right, if they flew here and all they had was the dictionary definition of kind of what this season was about, but then they watched how we lived, like, they watched how we interacted, they watched how we spent money, they watched how we shopped, I think that sometimes our paper definition with our lifestyle definition, like sometimes this doesn't mix. I would say it this way like this. So we define Christmas by the traditions we experience. Like if I ask you, hey, why is Christmas special? I'm not saying that no one would say Jesus, but we would say, man, Christmas is special because I get to see my loved ones. Christmas is special because we travel. Christmas is special because when it's over, the kids go back to school, right? There's a lot of things. That, and so, again, I think it's okay, but typically we, did, we uh, tend to define Christmas by the traditions we experience. And that's okay, but I think rather the profound moment in history that God sent his son Jesus to be our Savior to send light into this darkness, to send, to send hope into hopelessness, to send the restoration into broken humanity. I think that is, and, and I don't know about you, but I just believe that is one of the most profound moments in human history. And so I think if we were really as Christ followers, now if you're here and you're kind of new to church, I just would encourage you maybe through this series that God would recalibrate your heart. That it's okay, maybe you're not into the God thing yet, or you're watching online and you're not sure, but what this season is about is not Christmas trees and presents and tinsel. Rather, what should happen is instead of us defining Christmas by the experience of our tradition, we should, I'm sorry, we should define Christmas by the experience of our traditions. Like what we experience, the way we experience, it should filter through what Christmas is about. Like the way we go through this season, we should always remember what this is about, what this time is about. So last week we talked about family tensions. Because everybody knows the holidays can stir up some family tensions. Because in reality, a lot of times, the holidays is spending time with people you don't want to spend time with. Like the drunk uncle, the crazy aunt, there's tension, there's fighting, there's unforgiveness. People you've not seen all year, now you have to see them. And also there's family tension because there's people that we want to see that we can't see. People that have moved away, people that have passed away. And so there's all this family tension. And, and I said last week, and I would encourage you again to go back and listen to it, that Jesus had one of the craziest extended families ever. You think your family's crazy. You should take time and look at the family lineage, his ancient family, his, his immediate family, like they were crazy. There was a lot of in-laws and outlaws. There were a lot of chaos. But in the middle of all of it, here's what we said last week, is that God can use incredibly broken family trees to produce incredible fruit. That if Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, can come from that crazy family line, what can God do in and through your family this season? I'm just telling you anything's possible with God. Is anybody here by that today? Amen. So 
Today, I want to kind of change gears. Last week, in talking about this, these family tensions, let me ask you a question. How many of you guys here, maybe if I gave you some time to think about it, could find something or identify something, an issue, a topic, a situation in life that kind of brings out the worst in you? Like, there are some things that happen in our culture, in our society, in my life that just brings the worst out in me. Like, zombie apocalypse is number one. If you watch any, like, it just, humanity goes to hell in a handbasket. But in reality, here's a couple of things I know for me. I remember I was in Bible college. Alarm clocks can bring the worst out in people. You take normal people who are very calm, like very collected. They hear that meh, meh, meh at 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm telling you, some people are losing their mind. Alarm clocks can bring the worst out in people. Uh, I, I, again, I roomed with two different guys when I was in Bible college, and they both were on extremes. One guy put his alarm clock on the other side of the room so that when he woke up in the morning, in order for him to get up, he would physically have to get up and walk across the room, which is okay, but he never woke up. I had to get up <laughs> to walk across the room, turn off his alarm clock. Another guy had, he, not all the time, but he, this happened several times, he picked his alarm clock up and put it on the other side of the room because alarm clocks can bring the worst out in people. Uh, here, here's something, here's something, traffic can bring the worst. I don't know about anybody else, but traffic can bring the worst out in me. When I get in the car and put my seatbelt on, I am no longer saved. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Jesus does not ride with me. He's in the vehicle behind me trying to keep up. I'm just, listen, because I got the pulpit, I got the platform, I can say this. This is a public service announcement. When you turn left, onto a multi-lane road. If you're in the left lane, you turn into the left lane. If you're in the right lane, you turn into the right lane. If you're driving in a two-lane or more-lane road, the lane furthest to the left is for passing. Either you set the pace or get out of the way and let me set it. You're welcome. Political cycles. People lose their mind during political cycles. I'm telling you, some of you lost friends because you were judgmental and crude and your candidate was the best and the other opponent's candidate was the worst. And I mean, man, political cycles. I'm glad it's over. I don't even care who won. I'm just glad it's over so I could have normal conversations again. Is anybody with me? This is crazy. Here's something, jealousy. Jealousy can bring the worst out in some women anyways. I seen an article two weeks ago that there's a couple up in New York City, which there's just some crazy people in New York City anyways, but this woman had the impression that her man was cheating on her, so she went in the middle of the night, and there's a camera that recorded her abusing his car for six hours. Like, she didn't walk by and key it and left. I mean, she keyed it and scratched it, cut words into it, beat it with a baseball bat, broke the windows. I mean, she would leave and come back. Like, she just couldn't get enough. You know what I'm saying? Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Right? I mean, it's just, so there's some stuff. Social media. Social media is a great, like, it's a great tool, but it can bring the worst out in people. It can draw the worst. I, I have seen marriages break up because of social media. I have seen friends separate because of social media. So there's a lot of things, I think, in this world that can really bring the worst out in us. Here's one today, and this is what we're talking about through this series. I think Christmas can bring the worst out in us. Specifically, and this is where we're going to go today, I believe that Christmas has the ability to bring the worst financial habits out of our lives. Ooh, he went there. Too late. You can't get up and leave. We got ushers and security. You ain't going nowhere. You're mine for the last, next 31 minutes and 43 seconds, baby. What? Let me just ask you a question. When was the last time, think about this, when was the last time you gave the perfect Christmas present? 
Now, let me define what I would say is a perfect Christmas present. When was the last time you gave the perfect Christmas present, which means this, when was the last time you bought a gift for somebody you could afford that you knew they would absolutely love and you bought it with no strings attached? Like you're just walking through the mall and you've seen it and you're like, man, he would love this. She would love it. And like you took out and you had the cash and you bought it and like you gave it not expecting anything returned. Like in my definition, that is the perfect Christmas gift. But if we're honest, the perfect Christmas gift rarely ever happens. In fact, I would say more times than not, this is what our Christmas giving looks like right here. Is we spend more than we have. Y'all need to say this with me. We spend more than we have on people we don't like to buy them stuff they don't want. Y'all can applaud that because that's, that's some truth right there. You say, Pastor, what, what do you mean? Let me, let me tell you this. When I say we spend more than we have, here's what I mean. I mean, it's pretty simple. Um, you, you can go to a place called nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet.com is a kind of a financial website for everyday people. Nerdwallet.com says that the average American household is $132,000 in debt. Of that $132,000 in debt, we are almost $16,000 in credit card debt, okay? Here's the really bad part is, which means we spend more than we have on a regular basis, but when it comes to Christmas, the average American family gets $1,000 deeper in debt to fund the holiday. So it's, it's not like we're out spending what we're ha- we have. We're out spending money we don't have. That's some, come on, does anybody think that's maybe just a little bit insane? Like we're, 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 we're sending in bills late, we're going to check to cash places. We're borrowing money. We're using credit card debts to buy presents. And here's the crazy part. The presents we're buying are for people that we don't even like. Now, you, I know you're probably sitting to those people, and you can't amen. Just wink at me. Just, <laughs> just give me one. Now, again, I, I'm not saying that I buy presents, you know, all the people I buy presents for I don't like. Here's what I mean is this. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are honest, you would say every year you buy presents for people out of compulsion and obligation. Like you, you work at an office and they're going to do a Christmas exchange and you don't want to really do the Christmas exchange, but you don't want to be the party pooper. So you draw a name and you go to the store and you spend money you don't have to buy a gift that you don't really want to buy. You just don't want to be the odd person out. Let me, let me give you another. How many of you here have ever bought a gift for somebody because they might, be you, they might buy you a gift and you don't want to not have a gift for them? Y'all ain't got to be honest. I'll be all kind of honest today. How many of you here have ever bought a gift for somebody because they might show up at the family gathering, and when they don't show up, you keep it? Help me, somebody. <laughs> like, you're like, we can't go empty-handed. Cousin Joe might be there, and Cousin Joe ain't there. You're like, I just got me a new pair of, you know, fluffy slippers. What? <laughs> so, like, it's crazy. So, again, there, there's, there's nothing wrong but again, if you really look down and you buckle down to the gift giving of this season, we're buying presents for people that we really don't want to buy presents for, that we feel kind of bullied into by a gift exchange, or we drew somebody's name, or we don't want to, like God forbid, that they bought something for us and we didn't buy something for them. And so in order to avoid that awkward feeling, we go spend money we don't have to make sure we have them a gift in case they get us a gift. I'm just telling you, that's crazy. I'm pretty sure that's not why Jesus came. Let me just go a little bit further. We buy them stuff they don't even want. There's a book I I read uh, several months ago. Uh, It's a guy by the name of Joel Wardorf, and he says this in this book, Scroogeonomics. He gives some great stats, but here's, here's a couple real quick ones to keep in mind. When I say we buy stuff that people don't want, here's some thoughts. First of all, 10%. Everybody say 10%. 10% of gift cards that people buy during the holidays are never redeemed. 
That means if you go spend $200 on gift cards to give to people, you might as well take a $20 bill, light it on fire, and throw it away. Because either they forget they have the gift cards, the gift cards expire, they take fees out, or they'll use part of it and they never redeem the rest of it. 10% is never used. 20%. Everybody say 20%. 20%. People walk in stores with a dollar amount in their head that they're going to spend. When they get in the store, statistics say you spend 20% more than you said you would spend to buy the gift. Here's something worse. The gift you bought the person that you think is the perfect gift, they value it 20% less than what you paid for it. Which means if you walk into a store and say, I'm going to spend $100 on this person, most people will spend $120. But when you give them the $120 gift, right, they see that is worth $24 less, which means they would never spend on that gift what you spent to get it for them. Everybody say 30%. 30%. Statistics are really simple, and we can all agree with this, is is I'm going to buy something I like for myself far better than you're going to buy something I like. 30% of the gifts bought, people don't want them. They don't fit. I'm just telling you, one size fits all is a lie from the pit of hell. (laughs) One size fits all. If it's made in China, I'm telling you, every person in China is five foot four and weighs like 103 pounds. When I put on one size fits all from China, it just hurts my feeling, and I go eat a piece of pie. <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's just nothing true about that. But so 30%. So we buy. So again, guys, listen. We're spending money. Now, I know some of you have more money, and that, so I'm painting with a broad brush. But we, most of us, a lot of us, Statistics say that most of us are spending money we don't have, driving ourselves further in debt, not to really love people, not to really blow someone away. We're buying presents for people we don't really want to buy them for. And when they get them, they don't even like I know they're looking at you saying, this is just what I always wanted. This is a gift receipt in here, right? I mean, just in case it doesn't fit. I mean, it's, it's absolute chaos. It's crazy. And think about this. How many of us in this room right now, we're trying to think of a gift or you were trying to think of a gift for somebody and they kept telling you this, I don't want anything. I don't need anything. I'm telling you, my parents, my wife, Steve, what do you want? Babe, if I need it, I've already bought it. And if I wanted it, like the stuff I really want, you couldn't afford anyways. (laughs) I've wanted my whole life, just in case anybody's taking notes and can write this size check, I've just wanted my whole life. A two-tone Submariner Rolex watch, about $6,000. Some the, Those that didn't flinch, like if you didn't flinch at $6,000, hook, hook a brother up. <laughs> my, my, my wife, and this is, a, this is a whole thing, my wife, so I, I bought her, right? She's, she's wearing a carrot ring. Any, any women here would like a full carrot? Yeah, my wife, that's, that's, she's good with that, but she would like a two-carat ring. Now, I'm just putting our business out there. So my sister-in-law works at a jewelry store. She sent me a picture of a two-carat ring. Actually, it's 1.99 carats for a measly $19,785. That was my response. So I was like, listen, I got two kids in college, and I'm, you know, trying to keep a roof over my head, and I'm, mm-mm, no, mm-mm. And so about two days later, she sent me a message. Hey, what do you think I should get Shauna for, for Christmas? I sent her back the picture she sent me. I said, you, you work in the jewelry store. Hook, hook her up. Now, it's not that I don't love my wife. I'm just saying I don't want her to spend six dollars or $7,000 on me, and I'm not going to spend $20,000 on her. So, like, we don't, there's stuff we don't want and stuff we don't need. Come on, everybody shout insanity. 
There's a line in the movie that says, I cannot keep spending money to finance your insanity. And like that is the epitome. I think that breaks down for many of us what our Christmas traditions are about. And like we're in this competition mode and like we're trying to buy things for our kids that our parents couldn't buy us. And I just got news for you. You turned out okay. I mean, it's just this crazy stuff. Here's something I heard this week. One of the podcasts I listen to once a month, it's, it's called, it's entitled um, How Things Work. Podcast, it's on right now if you ever care to listen to it. It's on, it's, it's should, should companies market to kids? Here's some interesting stats. Here, here's something. The marketing industry spends $20 billion a year marketing products to children. 25% of that is, is spent eight weeks before Christmas up to Christmas, which means, now let me ask you, kids ain't got no money. And if they got a couple bucks, they don't have a car to go to Target, Walmart, GameStop to get it anyways. Here's what's happening in case you're not on the uptake. Companies are manipulating your kids to come and manipulate you to spend money you don't have to get them more stuff they don't need. Help me somebody. They have something, actually companies measure this. It's called pester power. You know what pester power is? It's exactly what it means. It means they show your kids something on a Saturday morning, something, right, that they are going to see 40,000 ads a year, child sees, between the Internet and all the other things. They target your kids so they will pester you into buying it. And in case you think you're one of those parents, I won't get into all the stats here, but basically 90% of pester power is effective. If your kid tells you they want it and they pester you enough, you will buy it for them. Come on, guys, we just keep spending money we don't have. Buying stuff for people we don't like. And we're getting them stuff that they don't really even want. It's crazy. And so that's why I came to say today that I think Christmas brings out the worst in us. It just does. There's just something that's crazy about it. And it's, it's when I, I'll go a step further. Black Friday shopping. Anybody here do Black Friday shopping? I did it a couple years ago. Like we, I thought I'd just go check it out. My wife and I, we went for, went for the first time ever, and uh, we went to this large plaza. She went down to Walmart, and I, I was standing out in front of um, Best Buy, and we had not planned on going, and we were actually up in Ohio, and so like I had a pair of jeans on and a jacket, and it started sleeting in Ohio. I was about a, like We were in line at 10 o'clock. The store didn't open until 6 I was like 15 minutes in, and I was tapping out. I'm like, that's it. I'm, don't nobody need a flat screen that bad. So we went up, and I sat. This was the first year that Walmart let people come and sit in the apartments. Anybody, some of you know what I'm talking about. Like, they used to line up, and then they got tired of being, you know, people being stampeded when they opened the door, so they let you go sit in the department. My wife and I, we sat eight hours in Walmart to get our daughters two laptops, each a laptop. And when the morning finally came, people were getting killed. Like, there were dead bodies in Walmart, taped off. It was crazy. And we got the laptops. We're like, we got them. And we walked out. Here's the crazy thing. Nobody even wanted the laptops we got. Like we could have went anytime and got these laptops. But like my, my wife still goes like, she fighting over stuff. Like we give stuff away and we're like, here, I hope you like it. Cause I killed four people to get this for you. <laughs> I'm going to jail, but enjoy your present. Come on guys. Christmas, when it comes to our finances, I think brings out the worst in us. I want to show you what I mean. If you have your Bible, you can go to Ephesians chapter 2 and listen to what the Bible says. Now, I'm going to get real spiritual here. And I'm going to really, I'm going to, I'm going to fight culture to say what I want to say today. I'm going to fight what is normal in our culture 
to share what God laid on my heart. Some of you won't hear me. Some of you will hear me and not change at all. But my hope is that God will speak to every heart in this room, every person watching online. In some way, somehow, God will help us to recalibrate and get back to Christmas defining us rather than us defining Christmas. Ephesians chapter 2. Everybody read this with me. You used to live in sin. This is the most self-righteous church ever. That's a good place to be like, go ahead, preacher. You know it. Anybody here used to live in sin? Anybody here used to shut the club down, sleep around, get your hang on on? Come on, it was good back in the day. I hate when people are like, when I was out in the world, I had a big empty hole. I did not fill it up with liquor and drugs and having fun. But it was sin, and I found Jesus, and he saved me, and he made me his child. I don't live that way anymore. Are you all hearing what I'm telling you? I used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. Now, you got to get this. If you're new to the Bible, I just want you to get this is God's perspective on what's happening physiologically, psychologically. What's happening in our heart is you're not just out doing what you want. When you are away from Christ, living the life you live, making choices that disobey the commands of God, you're not just really doing what you want. Watch what he says. You're obeying who? The devil. The commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So every fight I ever got in, every drink I ever drank, every drug I ever did, every bad attitude, I'm not saying like it's up to me. I have a free will, but there is a person, the devil. He's a spirit that was at work in my heart. Are you all hearing me? That's what God's word says. And every one of us in this room at one time were subject to that power working in our heart. And thank be to Jesus, some of us aren't there anymore because now there's a different power at work in our heart. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he set us free from the power of sin. He set us free from the penalty of sin. He's setting us free from the presence of sin. And he goes on, he says this, watch this, Ephesians, go on. Read it with me. He says, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. You say, what does this have to do with money? It has everything to do with it because if we're really honest, I think verse 3 right here epitomizes our Christmas shopping and gift buying. That we walk into a place and we feel, the, we feel kind of the pull of this world that a lot of times, man, First John talks about the lust of the eyes. That a lot of our shopping doesn't have to do with the money we have buying gifts that we want. We wander through the conglomeration of shopping malls that have spent millions of dollars to entrap you and pull you in and you buy stuff you had no intention of buying. Do you know why? Because of the lust of the eyes. I got to have that. Look how shiny that is. I think I might need one of those. I know y'all going to be quiet today and that's okay. Sometimes it's not just the lust of the eyes. Sometimes it's pride. Again, a lot of us in this room, at least me, at least me, I know I have bought gifts for people not because I wanted to buy them, but because I felt like I had to, like they bought me something and, and I was too proud for them to outbuy me. I was too proud to think that I could receive something and not give something. I refused to be humiliated that they had more money than I did. And I know I'm not the only one in this room. And so the Bible's saying that before you came to Christ, there was a power that was working in us, and it's, it's tempting us, and it's pulling us away from God's will and away from God's best for our life. And when we come to Christ, the Bible makes it clear that, that our hearts, that our lives, in fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that our body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God's presence takes up residence on the inside of us. And that's how we become God followers. 
The same way we used to be pulled. This is great news. Some of you got to hear this. The same way we used to be pulled away from God. You're not in this thing alone serving God. The presence and the power of the Holy Spirit is in us, pulling us toward him, pulling us to victory, pulling us to the life that he has for us. Listen, we're not in this thing alone. God is with us, and if God is for us, who can be against us? Come on. So now God's working in us. But listen to me. The battle's not over. So even though the Holy Spirit's in us and he's empowering us to live this life that honors him, there are still temptations. The God of this world, this present age, the devil, he's still at work and he's still trying to draw us astray. And some of you may never murder anybody. You may never rape anybody. You may never say anything wrong out of your mouth. But I want you to know every heart in this house is subject to some kind of corruption and temptation. And for a lot of us, hear what I'm about to tell you today. A lot of us, he uses the passionate desires and inclination of our sinful nature to get us to walk outside of the boundaries of God's, God's will for our life. Like, that's reality. And I think there's no way where it's more true than right now. Because I think Christmas has the potential to bring the worst out in us. And some of you, like, you don't even come through till like, January 15th, like, when the food buzz wears off and you know, you've put the tree away, and then you start getting the bills, and you're like, my God, what did we do? I spent how much? I mean, it's like y'all coming out of a hangover. What? Like, all, like it's just all the receipts come in, and you got all the bills in front of you, and it's too late. You can't ask for those. Well, you can, but don't ask for mine back because I don't return. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so here's what, here's what Jesus says. Check this out. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6. Y'all read this with me. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and be enslaved to money. See, again, there's this on every one of us, and I believe this with all of my heart. There are, there are 39 parables in the New Testament, 39. 39 stories that Jesus taught using everyday language to help us to understand kingdom principles in the way that we should live. 39% of those, or I'm sorry, 34% of those, the majority of the stories that Jesus told had to do with finances, money, wealth, how we manage the resources we have. Some of you have been in church your whole life and you've heard this lots of times. Some of you are brand new. But let me just give you God's perspective on money. Now, it doesn't matter how much you have. If you don't think you have enough or you got more than you could ever spend, the perspective is the same. That we are not owners of anything. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything on this, work, or on this earth, everything in his creation, it's all his. What is yours in your bank account you think belongs to you does not really belong to us. We are only managers managing what he's given us in a way that should honor him, spending in a way that glorifies him. And one day the Bible says when we stand before God, he will open the books. Everybody shout books. He's going to open the books. I believe one of those is going to be an accounting book. And he's going to look at me and he's going to say, Steve, in your lifetime, I gave you $1,573,984.37. How did you spend it to glorify me? It's okay paying bills. It's okay having fun. It's okay having hobbies. But at the end of the day, I'm to manage my resources in a way that glorifies God and advances his kingdom and not mine. Go ahead, y'all. Listen, you ain't got to live it yet, but you, we at least got to say, okay, I'm not there yet, pastor, but listen, you got to believe a truth before you will ever live a truth. And so Jesus is saying, hey, there's a competition. Forget it, you. 
It's very hard to sometimes see ourselves in the mirror. Very easy to judge our neighbor. Amen? So let's judge our neighbor today. I'm going to give you permission just this once. It's very easy to look at someone else down the road and say, man, there's two gods they're wrestling with. I've been in the ministry for March since uh, 1993, April 1993, when I went into full-time ministry. It's a long time. I've seen thousands of people. And I've seen in my own life sometimes wrestle between two masters, between the God I want to serve, between the God who's, who loved me, who saved me, who put his spirit in me, and I, I really want to please, and then I feel pull and temptation to go please something else other than God. Is anybody with me? In this, this thing, Jesus, he narrows it really like way down, and it's not this abstract kind of thing you define it. He says, I'll define for many of you what it is. It's your pull and passion for money and wealth, spending what you think is your money in a way that you want to spend it, or you can please God, but you cannot please both. And during this holiday, now listen, I, I'm just going to tell you, it is no clearer, it is no clearer than the holidays that giving in churches and nonprofits in general tanks during the holidays. Now, I'm not here to make you uncomfortable. I'm just, I'm just telling you, like, to me, that's a reality that God and his kingdom very much become second to our kingdom because we're taking what's ours and spending it in ways what we don't have on people we don't like, buying them more stuff that they don't need or want instead of saying, God, you're first, and before I spend another dime, I'm going to make sure I tithe and I'm a giver before anything. And if I have something left, then I'm going to choose who I want to bless, how I want to bless them, whether they want it or not, whether they buy from me or not, I'm going to be a blessing. Like that's, and that's a challenge, and that's so difficult for us to do. Because, again, we are in, and so, it's so hard to see, but we are very much, and I'm, I'm all, I am a capitalist. If y'all don't like it, I don't tell you, but I am. I'm okay with people making money. I'm okay with someone being smart enough, sacrificing their own dream to get out there to build something, make something, open a business, and making lots of money doing it. Amen. I'm all for it. But there is a spirit. Everybody say spirit. spirit. There's a spirit at work. And it takes things that are okay and tries to leverage it against us. And we get caught up, caught up in competition, caught up in trying to get the biggest, the best, the shiniest. I'm going to outbuy you. You're going to outbuy me. I'm going to buy stuff I don't want to buy. And it's a spirit that's pulling us. And all of a sudden, what we should be using for God's kingdom, all of a sudden, we're forced in this season to please our kids and to try to make everybody happy. And next thing you know, we've blown it all, and we've totally put God in the back seat financially, and we've made money our master rather than God being our master. So here's what I came today to say is this right here is never allow the Christmas spirit to stop your obedience to the Holy Spirit. That's it right there. Y'all ought to amen something right there. Never allow, never allow the Christmas spirit to stop your obedience to the Holy Spirit. What's God want you to do with the money you have? What's God want you to do with the resources you have? And sometimes there is a tension Sometimes there are financial pressures where we feel like we can't do both and we're pulled and we feel like, man, we have to buy, we want to buy, we feel overwhelmed to buy, and we feel like, God, what do you want me to do? And there is tension, and it's okay that we feel that tension. I feel that tension too. And here's what I have found out over the year, and some of you guys know this. I have made consistently more money over my lifetime. I make a lot more money now than I did when I was 30. And I made more money at 30 than I did when I was 20, right? 
It doesn't matter how much money you make. That tension and pressure is there. We have to decide who is my master. Are you all with me today? I want to show you one more story because this is Christmas. So I'm going to make this a Christmas story so you all can leave singing Jingle Bells, Batman Smells, Robin laid an egg. Like we actually got into a Christmas story. So here's a Christmas story and we'll tie this together. Check this out. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Now, FYI, real quick, King Herod. King Herod was appointed a king over a certain region, and he was crazy, insane, jealous. He didn't want anybody challenging his reign. He didn't want anybody challenging his throne. Uh, king Herod was known for killing some of his own children because he didn't want them. He thought they were plotting against him. He thought, man, when, they, when I get old, they're going to take me out. So King Herod took out anybody who got in his way of remaining king. That's this King Herod. About that time, come on, read it with me. About that time, some wise men came from eastern lands and arrived in Jerusalem asking, here's a question, where is the newborn king of the Jews? Who are they asking about? Jesus, right? We know the story. They've right here. We saw his star. We, we just know that there's the story recorded in the New Testament that there were wise men. We don't know if there was three. Could have been two. Could have been five. We just have assumed there's three. And the Bible says that these wise men from the east Somehow, I think, I think they heard the prophecies because there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. I think they followed the prophecies because if you know, if you follow Scripture, you could narrow down about when the Messiah would be born. The Bible prophetically tells us specifically what city he would be born in. So they knew when that sign showed up, this star, like something's happened. And they followed the star. And they came to the region where King Herod was in charge. And so they did the right thing. They went to the king and they said, hey, where's the new king at? King Herod's like, What's, what new king, sucker? But he didn't say it out loud. He's like, oh. And all of a sudden, immediately, these wise men who showed up to find the new king, Jesus, the old king Herod immediately plotted like he always did. No one is going to compete for my throne. So he says this, we saw his stars at rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, the Bible goes on and tells us about the worship. Y'all read this with me. They entered the house. Watch this. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother. So this transaction did not happen immediately after Jesus was born. So I, I, know, like, I know probably many of you like us. Anybody here have a nativity set in your front yard next to your big letter glowing A? Or you have a nativity in your house? We have a little nativity set. And here's the thing. With all nativity sets like ours, you have the little baby Jesus. And he's kind of a fat baby. I mean, it's, it's, my baby's a big old fat baby Jesus. And he's laying there, and hey, and he's, it's all good, and Mary and Joseph. And then you got some shepherds and some animals, and then the three wise men. How many people got the three wise men? It's not biblically accurate, right? Jesus was born in a manger. That's where the shepherds came. The angels were there, but these wise men showed up later because they didn't show up at the manger. They showed up where? The house. They entered the house, and they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest, watch this, and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, this is really crazy, just a couple minutes here. So they show up, they've traveled, we don't know how far, we don't know how long, but it's been a sacrificial journey to find Christ the King. And the Bible says when they finally see Jesus, they walk into this house, they see him, and the Bible says they bow down and they worship him. And I don't want you to miss the absolute connection that is made between their worship and their treasure. There is always a connection in the heart of a Christ follower between our worship 
and our treasure. If your treasure is not connected to your worship, your worship is diluted. And so they show up, and they knew he was going to be there. So in order to prepare them for their worship, they brought gifts. And it's very important, just like side note, the Bible says they bring three gifts. This is why I think people have assumed three, uh, three wise men. They bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They bring gold because gold was the most fitly gift for a king. Right? If you go back through, uh, through the millennia, almost every time there's a king, you can read their histories. When other people came to adore them or to somehow meet with them, they would always bring gifts. The best gift to bring a king historically was gold. Everybody shout gold. So they bring Jesus gold. The second gift is Frankenstein or whatever. Who knows what this is? Frankincense, I've never heard of it. It's a Bible word. Let me tell you what it is. Frankincense is a sap from a tree that they use primarily to put together in the incense that's burned in the temple. So part of the way they worshiped God in the Old Testament was through a temple, through law, through ritual. One of the things they did is they would burn incense inside of the place. The incense, the smoke that went up, just a total side note, but it's just kind of cool. Josephus records in history that when the smoke ascended out of the temple, that it went impeded, unhindered by the winds, and went straight to heaven. It was a sign to the Jewish people that when we pray, our prayers go directly to heaven and nothing stops it. So that incense and that smell, so frankincense is a great gift for a priest. Gold for a king, frankincense for a priest. Let me give you one more. Myrrh, what in the world is myrrh? Myrrh is also a sap from a tree, but one of the primary things they use for myrrh is they would make it into a perfume. And what they would do is, is they would take people who died. The more wealthy you are, the more they use, but they would take people, and some of you know this. Remember Lazarus? Anybody here remember the story of Lazarus, right? Remember what happened when he came out of the tomb? What, what was the first thing Jesus said? Unwrap him. Get the grave clothes, because they would wrap people like mummy. And in between every layer, you know what they would put? Two things, spices and myrrh. And myrrh was like the glue that held all the wrapping together. So gold is a great thing to give what? A king. Frankincense is a great gift to give who? A priest. And myrrh is a great gift to give somebody who's about to die. For you not real quick on the uptake yet, or maybe new to church, Jesus came to be the king. It was a prophetic gift. That this is a new, we don't need any man on any throne. We have the king of glory. We have the Lord of hosts. We have Emmanuel, God with us. And he's the only true king from the line of David. This is him. And we brought a, we brought a gift worthy of a king. Frankincense, he is our new high priest. We don't need any man in a box. We don't need to confess to him. We don't need to make sacrifices anymore. The book of Hebrews says that we have a better high priest who's met a better sacrifice. That Jesus Christ, the son of God, was sacrificed on the cross of Calvary. Our sin debt is paid forever. We never have to sacrifice another thing. It's been done once and for all, for all time, for all people everywhere. Jesus died for everyone. He is our great high priest. And the Bible says that he sits at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for you and I. We don't need to go through a man. Listen, Paul tells Timothy, there is one mediator between God and man, and it is the man, Christ, Jesus. He is my high priest. He's the only one I need to pray to. He's the only one I need to look to. He's the only one that can get me to the Father. He said he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through him. He's my high priest. See, these wise men were wise because they knew what was coming. This baby was born to be a king. This baby was going to be a high priest. And this baby 
came with one mission. He taught, and that's wonderful, but he didn't come to teach. He did miracles that stunned audiences. The lame walked, the blind could see, the dead was raised, but he did not come to do miracles. Jesus said from the very beginning, I've come for one reason, to lay down my life and be a ransom for many. See, all the way at his birth, these wise men knew the destiny of this child, that he would die. But that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is on the third day. My Savior and yours got up from the grave. And because he lives, we live too. That's what Christmas is all about. Now, now let me tie this together real quick. I'm almost done. So we got, we got insane spending, spending what we don't have on people we don't like to buy them stuff that they don't want. It's a spirit. I believe it is, man. We're tempted and we feel pride and we feel temptation and pull. These guys had it right. They had resources that they used for one reason, to honor God. And then watch what happens. Some of you know the story. Watch this. Next verse. Read it with me. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. Come on, y'all got to read this. Appeared in a dream. Get up. Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Keep going. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod, the jealous king, is going to search for the child to kill him. And some of you know the story. History records it. The king Herod was so outrageously jealous at the thought of another king that he went in and he killed every child two years and younger in an attempt to kill Jesus and stop him from being king. So the Bible, sent, the Bible tells us that God sent an angel to tell Joseph, I want you to leave immediately. And I want you to go to Egypt, travel to a foreign land, and stay there until I tell you it's safe to come back. Here's a great question. I don't know about you, but it's expensive to travel. And it's really expensive when you have to travel. If I told you right now, now get on a plane and travel to Egypt, could you do it? Most of you don't have the finances to do it. Where in the world did they get the money to immediately get up and travel and stay for an elongated period of time in the land of Egypt? Well, the Bible just told us because they brought gifts of wealth. I believe they lived on gold, the sale of frankincense and myrrh to finance them, which means that God used the wealth that he placed in the hands of these wise men to advance the kingdom. See, the reason God gives us wealth and riches and money, there's nothing wrong with habits, hobbies, bills. I mean, that's part of life. But if you think every dollar in your account is for you, it's not. We are called to be tithers and givers and not just advance our kingdom, but to advance his. So again, he tells him, he says, hey, stay there. I'm going to pay the bill. Here's what I want you to know when we get ready to close right here. Because we don't do what he wants us to do. We can't have what he wants us to have. And we can't do what he needs us to do. What do I mean? Because we don't do what he wants. Because we're not givers and tithers. Because we're not generous to advance his kingdom instead of ours. We can't really have the life he wants to have. Some of you guys, your most frustrating and difficult time is going to come in January when those bills come in. Because you outspent and you really didn't use any wisdom. You really didn't. We don't honor God sometimes or resource. But here's the challenges. Some of you are going to be so bound up next year trying to get out of the debt that you got into to celebrate one day of the year that it's going to keep you from giving and being generous all of 2017. You will not be able to do what God wants you to do. And so I just want to just challenge you. What would happen if we lived different? If we really spent different? 
Instead of being pulled by a culture and saying, this is what you should spend, and you gotta make your gotta outspend your neighbor, make your kid right happy, and you gotta buy for everybody because everybody says that's what you do. God, I'm gonna buy for people I want to buy for. I'm not gonna buy what I feel like I gotta buy, I'm gonna buy what I can afford. In fact, I'm gonna give you a couple practical things real quick. You can write these down and we'll go home. Number one, give gifts based on what you have. It's real practical. This is like some one-on-one life stuff right here. Give gifts based on what you have. Here's my challenge is, and some of you it's too late. Don't go into debt. Don't use a credit card. Don't borrow money. Only give gifts that you have. That means if what you, you can't buy anything, afford to buy anything, then give some stuff you can make. Because I'm just telling you, a lot of what you give isn't going to be used anyways. At least give something that's personal. So only give based on what you have. Number two. Give gifts without, with the proper motivations. If you're going to give a gift, don't give it out of, well, they might give me something and I feel like I have to. Only buy for people that you really feel like, I want to buy for this person. Like, I love them and I want to bless them. That's it. Number three, don't keep score. Now, this one stings a little bit because out of everything I say, I'll be honest, I have given people gifts, walked out, and they didn't give me anything. I'm like, they didn't give me nothing. I wonder if I can get mine back. Don't, give, don't keep score. True giving, everybody hear this, true giving never has strings attached. If you give something to somebody and then wonder, what did they do with it? I wonder what they used that for. They can't, that's not what I gave. Listen, then you didn't give it to them. You gave it with strings. True giving has no strings. Don't keep score. Next one, real quick. Uh, budget ahead, keep going. Keep going. Don't wait for last minute shopping. Now, we're getting close, but if you shop last minute, you're going to buy just like, you're going to stick anything in your cart just to have fulfilled the guest, the checklist. And that's when you're going to buy, that's when you're going to overspend, and that's when you're going to buy something probably people aren't going to use. So, I just want to challenge you today as we head out of here. I know there's some family tensions coming, and there are financial pressures coming, and Jesus is the answer to all those. And the challenge today is for you to look at all that God's put in your hand and all that he's put in your care and ask this question. Contrary to what society says I should do, God, how do you want me to spend, give, invest, sow, save the resources you have given me in a way that honors you and advances your kingdom? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that God, you would speak to every heart in this room, including mine. God, help us, God, to live in a way that God is contrary to the society we live that has hijacked our resources, and God pulled us in. God pulled us into a financial cyclone that many of us cannot sustain. And Lord, I pray, God, this Christmas season, we'll be wise stewards of the resources that you have placed in our hands. And God, through it all, and through it all, I pray that, Jesus, you will be our only master. And God, we'll put you first in all we say and all we do. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed, said amen. Come on, can we thank the Lord today?